Hello everybody, welcome back. Today we have a very special guest, my psychology professor from my community college, Dr. Lolly. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, yes, I'm uh, Martha Lolly. I'm a psychology professor at the College of Lake County in Grays Lake, Illinois. And um, I had the pleasure of having Jesse in my class a couple years ago in an honor section, as I'm sure that wouldn't surprise you. Um, and so uh, I'm also a clinical psychologist by training, and I did that for 20 years before I came on board to the college. Would you mind diving into what clinical psychology is? Sure. So um, clinical psychology is a little bit different from other areas of psychology in that we specialize in working with individuals diagnosed with a mental health disorder. So some psychologists work on more everyday type of issues, some work with children in the schools, some work in, you know, occupations, um, you know, in terms of companies. But clinical psychologists, our role is to diagnose and treat individuals who have a mental health disorder. Very nice. It's been, I think, 2018 I took the class with you. So it's been about three years since we've last spoke. I know I stayed at uh, CLC for a couple couple mm -hmm. years after, and so I was, see you in the hall from time to time. Yes. But what's new? What's changed ever since uh, a few years ago? Well, in terms of uh, COVID, obviously, that made a huge difference. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. So since of March of 2020, we have been remote for the most part. Um, thank goodness for Zoom. And uh, as I'm sure that you probably have had some classes on Zoom, uh, my classes uh, predominantly are on Zoom. And uh, we have a couple classes in person, but they're very small and they tend to be more lab and hands-on classes. But for the typical student, uh, if they're not taking a totally online class, they're on Zoom and that's been its own a learning curve. But we've been very fortunate, Jesse, to have Zoom. I, I don't know what we would have done um, if we weren't able to have that ability to connect with students. It's not the same as, you know, being together in a class, but it certainly has been great. Um, so that obviously has been the biggest thing. Uh, but in terms of the department, right before we uh, started uh, having to go remote, um, we do have a psychology lab at CLC, which I don't think you knew about. Uh, because we really started it, I think, certainly after you left. And then that's been really exciting in that uh, providing students the opportunity have, to have that experience, you know, working um, and, and, you know, providing surveys and, and doing some research. So that's been cool. Yeah, that's incredible. How are the in-person classes now compared to how they were before COVID? So when you say in person, do you mean the ones that are actually um, on the campus? Yes. On like, yeah. So they're very small. So there may be they have like six students in them. And mm -hmm. again, they tend to be ones that have required a lab 
component so you actually you know you have to do something physical so a lot of the lab classes did return and some classes uh, did open up in typical classes let's say English or you know even psychology or other areas because not everyone has the benefit of having you know good internet access uh, reliable computers so for that reason, to make sure that all students, you know, in Lake County have the opportunity to still learn, we make sure that um, classes are on campus. But there's lots of restrictions, lots of restrictions. You have to make sure that you're wearing a mask. The classes are very small. There's a lot of cleaning that goes on. Um, people's, you know, their temperatures are checked. So. If you are on campus, you have to, you know, be very, very careful. All the desks are separated. So, uh, and again, classes are so small that we don't have a whole lot of them for that reason. A little bit yeah. more this coming fall, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing from a lot of schools and colleges is uh, this fall. And a lot of uh, places I know, my school specifically, is doing kind of a trial run this summer. So there's gonna be most of the classes back on ground this summer. Oh, good, so, are you gonna, is your school gonna require you to be vaccinated by the fall? I don't believe so. I will be graduating this May though. So in just a couple weeks. Um, oh. So that's exciting. Oh, I didn't know that, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Some schools are requiring students to have the vaccine. You've probably been hearing them. Um, mm -hmm. The College of Lake County is not going to require it. Okay, understood. There's, um, I got my vaccine, I think if I got my second dose last Friday and I felt really, really sick after the first dose, which I know a lot of people felt really normal after that one. Yeah. But on the second dose, I felt perfectly fine. But I have uh -huh. both the vaccines now, I'm feeling good. Good, very good. So. So if it was a re, you know requirement, you're already set. So that's good. Are oh, you yes. going to have an, yeah. a, a real graduation? Are they going to have a ceremony? Yes, they are. We're having a in-person and we're also having an online ceremony. So you have to sign up for one or the other. But I think it's very limited seating. Like it was really difficult for me to get tickets just for like my parents to attend. Oh. But like my brother, any other family isn't going to be able to. But oh, that's wow. fine. Okay. It's understandable. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to, we're looking into having a drive through, a, a combination drive through and inside uh, the gym. It's not Ooh. quite, yeah, <laughs> it's not quite firmed yet. Um, last year we didn't have anything um, mm -hmm. in May. And then in the fall we had a bit of a drive through, but there's going to be something uh, coming up uh, two weeks. Yeah. In just two weeks, but it's, it hasn't totally Totally panned out yet, but we're going to have some type of graduation. Mm -hmm. That'll be exciting, though. As long as there's something for the students, I think that's all they really want. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. But for the on-ground classes here, I know they that this quarter they're starting to have some that are completely on-ground, like the drawing classes, life drawings, things like that. But I have two in-person classes right now, but they are hybrid. So oh, okay. 10 people in the class are still on Zoom and then 10 people are on ground. But if you're on ground, you're still just joining a Zoom meeting and you're not like interacting or talking with anybody. So it's not the best. I'd rather just like sit at home and be a, like on my own computer, but. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that, 
yeah, that seems sort of strange. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever works, that's the thing, yeah. you know, administrators are trying their best to try to meet everybody's needs. So we all have to be flexible. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So when I was back in your class in 2018, there were a few key topics that really piqued my interest. I was, you know, I kind of had my sets or my eyes set on some sort of like art career. And so a lot of the classes at College of Lake County, I kind of breezed through and didn't really pay attention. But you seem to make psychology very interesting to me. And ooh, uh, before we get into it, do you remember Ali Nitty? Yes, uh-huh, yes. We didn't really talk too much in that class, but we had a drawing class after that, and yeah. we became, like, really good friends. We were still, oh. like, talking today. She's going to be visiting oh. me in school in a couple of weeks, and she was actually a podcast guest just a couple of weeks oh. ago. Oh, well, tell her to tell her hello for me, okay? Oh, absolutely, I will. So in uh, your class, there was... I think I got really interested in the sleep aspect mm -hmm. when we talked about sleep mm -hmm. because... Yeah. I feel like it's such an unknown kind of like phenomenon, um, but I feel like we should know a lot more about it. Like there's so much that we spend our time and just like energy on as a society. I guess like learning more about sleep isn't that important to like human development or growth, but or at least like the dream aspect. Yeah. Uh-huh. I do want to just talk about just sleep in general. If you could give your take on how important sleep is, because I know a lot of college students, we don't get as much sleep as we should. That is for sure. That is for sure. <laughs> I think sleep is one of the most important things that we can do to keep us healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, personally. Uh, sleep is so important. And I'm glad that you remember that. And actually, my students will say that all the time because I emphasize it so much. They, they really like, yeah, you know, if we leave Dr. Lai's class, we know you have to sleep. Um, it, it's just such an important aspect of everything we do. Uh, sleep is, you know, determined. Um, our brain has a lot to do with sleep. It, um, you know, uh, there's a part of our hypothalamus, you know, the suprachiasmatic nucleus that, you know, picks up the light that comes through and it sets the whole system ready to get us, you know, awake. And then at night it's, you know, it secretes the melatonin so that we, you know, feel sleepy. So it's such an integral part of our body, um, you know, part of our daily circadian system. So uh, right there, we know it's important because our body focuses on it. But college students are notorious for not getting us enough mm -hmm. sleep. And there's so much going on in college students' lives. So in some ways, it's understandable. You know, but there's also a lot of fear of missing out, right? You just, you just want to do uh, so much. But without adequate sleep, you're almost harming yourself uh, in terms of getting the most out of college that you can because your body isn't uh, and your mind isn't quite ready for it. When you're sleep deprived, and, and, and what is sleep deprived? All of us need a little bit different amount, but, but certainly one should have about seven to eight hours a night. And those who consistently get seven to eight hours do live the longest. So if that's important to you, uh, you know, start thinking about sleeping now. <laughs> but, you know, when you're younger, you need a little bit more because that's when growth hormones are released. So why it's so important for children to sleep because they need that. Um, but when you're deprived of sleep, it affects 
every aspect of your life. If we just think about our physical body, it uh, affects our immune system. So it's a lot harder for us um, to fight off illnesses. And you know about college students getting mono or getting <laughs> the flu or a cold because, yep, yep. you know, yeah, they don't have, their immune system isn't working. Uh, sleep helps to repair blood vessels so that, you know, your blood is flowing uh, properly. So you're less likely to have things like high blood pressure and strokes and heart disease. Um, it helps uh, the connectivity with our neurons. So it helps learning, right? It helps our hippocampus um, to work the best way that it can. And everyone knows that if you don't get your sleep, it's really hard to perform. You, do, you stay up, uh, you know, to study for a test, pull an all-nighter, and you do poorly on the test because you're not able to focus with it. You're not able to encode information. You're not able to retrieve it adequately when you're sleep-deprived. A lot of people complain about gaining weight. Well, one of the things that we do ask individuals is, how's your sleep? because we know that sleep affects hormones that are related to our, our sense of feeling full. If you're not sleepy, it triggers what's called ghrelin, and ghrelin makes you hungry, right? And so you're overeating, which causes people to gain weight. Uh, accidents, right? You know, more accidents are caused by sleep deprivation than drunk driving. Uh, people think that they can drive, uh, but we're very poor at understanding how sleep-deprived we are. And so people will have accidents because of it. Um, people, if you already are susceptible to mental health issues, sleep makes it worse. If you have an anxiety disorder, lack of sleep makes you more anxious. If you have panic attacks, you're more likely to have continued pan attacks. Um, depression, also, if you're not getting adequate sleep, can worsen uh, because of it. Um, there isn't a single organ in the body that is not affected uh, by sleep loss. So it, it is just an area that we don't pay enough attention to. And people will say, hey, you know what? Sleep's not important now. I'll, I'll sleep plenty when I'm dead. Well, <laughs> you're not going to live as long uh, if you don't take care of your sleep right now. So it, it's just something that uh, at this point, you really need to make sure that you've got a, you know, a consistent sleep pattern um, and, you know, turn off the electronics, you know, turn off um, the social media. You just make a point uh, to get sleep every day and you'll feel better. You just both physically, emotionally, and mentally uh, will feel better when you sleep. Mm -hmm. And I have a question for, I have some friends who sometimes they'll sleep like three hours one day and then like the next day they'll sleep 16 hours or some crazy yeah. amount. Are there right. any harms or dangers from oversleeping? So the problem with oversleeping, well, let's first talk about can you make it up? And the answer is mm -hmm. not really. So you'll see people Monday through Friday, they'll get a little bit less sleep than they need. Then the weekend comes and they oversleep thinking they'll make it up. Well, you really can't. You can make up a little bit, but you really can't make up a lot. So that's not good. 
Sleeping a lot is also not good uh, for you because what happens is it, it interferes with the sleep cycle. And the sleep cycle is part of our natural rhythms, right? Our daily circadian rhythms. And so when you're interfering with that, it can affect all aspects of your body in terms of your alertness, your temperature, all of that. So that's not the best thing. If you're sleeping a lot, and, and uh, that's also a concern too. If, you know, day after day you can't get out of bed, uh, sleeping too much um, is oftentimes a symptom of either a medical or mental health issue. So I do want to put that in because you might have some listeners who are tired all the time. Uh, that's also not good. The best thing is to try to get on a stable schedule as much as possible. Uh, just try to be consistent with your sleep. This three hours, 16 hours, um, it's just not, it's not healthy and it'll affect your body and you won't be able to make it up. Mm -hmm. And where your, what's your take on naps? 20 minute naps, 10 minute naps? <laughs> Good, yeah. So some people um, do well with a nap, but we're talking short-term naps. And short-term is typically 30 minutes or less. Okay, so if you feel you need to take a nap, um, do that, and we call those power naps. And for some people, that works really well to have that 30 minutes. And there are some uh, businesses who actually have places where uh, their workers can rest for that amount of time. Anything more than 30 minutes, though, can interfere with your evening sleeping. If you're taking a two-hour nap, there's no way you're going to go to bed at a, a normal time. And so what you'll find is that you're in this negative cycle of sleeping too little at night, then taking a long nap during the day, and, and you're just out of sequence. See, the key of sleeping for six, seven, eight hours is you're going through the different stages. And you remember all those different stages, Jesse, in that you have to go 90 minutes to get through a full cycle and to get to REM. And when you have it for five, six, seven hours, you're really increasing the amount of REM that you're sleeping, which is the rapid eye movement. That's the dream state. That's when we consolidate our information. That's what's so important to help us learn. So if you get three hours here and then a three-hour nap there and then four hours, you're not having consistent sleep stages that allow you to get to that longer REM, which is necessary. So power naps, yes, are good, but don't let it be on night, beyond 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And for a power nap, since to enter REM, you have to be sleeping for at least a 90-minute period to go through right. the full cycle. Does that mean right. you can't dream like during a power nap? Because I know friends who are like, I just had the craziest dream and they're only yeah. out for like 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, and that's because they're sleep deprived. When you're mm -hmm. sleep deprived, you will quickly get into a REM because you're sleep deprived. And, and so <laughs> when somebody says that, wow, I was just sleeping for 15 minutes and I had the cra craziest dream, my, my response is you need to get more sleep at night. Because your body is essentially telling you you're deprived. And so it will go right into, it can get into REM. We call that REM rebound. 
uh, that occurs. And and that's not good because you need both this, you know, the, the stage three and four, because that's what really helps, you know, your body recuperate and rest and heal itself. And then the REM for all of the, um, you know, the memory consolidation. So, but yeah, that, that certainly will happen. Just like if you wake up and uh, remember we talked about the snooze button, uh, yeah. you know, and snooze button uh, for your listeners is not something you should be using. It does not help. Um, if you have to get up at nine o'clock, get up at nine. Don't be hitting the snooze button every five minutes from 830 till nine. You keep interrupting, you know, your sleep. And what's going to happen is you, you will probably go into a dream, wake up a dream and, and you would it's much better for you just to stay there in that dream state the whole time without waking but then you just have to force yourself to get up when the time um, when you need to but it's a habit just like anything else and uh, mm-hmm. you you can work on it but it, it will make such a difference um, in both your schooling your health and just your overall well-being if you're getting adequate sleep yeah now, one thing that we really try to focus on in this podcast is dieting and kind of mm-hmm. like a fitness regimen. Now, right. how does right. exercise, uh, diet, maybe water intake affect the brain? Okay. First of all, the brain is 75% water. It needs water. So the first thing you should do when you wake up is you should have some type of uh, liquid because during respiration during the night, you are exhaling, you know, water vapor as part of, you know, the carbon dioxide that's being released too. So your brain is uh, missing all of that water. So in the morning, the first thing, absolutely make sure that you have some type of a, a beverage. Water, of course, is best, but other things are, are good. Um, you know, even coffee is fine up to a point, right? You, you're drinking coffee all day, it, it can actually... Um, you know, if you just off, all you do is drink coffee, uh, that's not good because that becomes more uh, of a diuretic than anything. But even coffee can add to your beverages. But you should be drinking. That is important. Preferably water. That's what your brain is made of. And the rest of your body is made of a lot of water, too. That's important. Diet is crucial. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we know that... Um, just for overall brain health, you should do your best uh, to be eating healthy. You're feeding, you know, you're feeding your brain. Um, aging brain, one of the ways that our brain does age is um, what are known as free radicals. And that is what is released as our cells metabolize energy. And those free radicals can damage our cells. And so by providing healthy food, such as antioxidants, which you probably know about, uh, that helps to diminish the destructive power of free radicals. So there are certain foods that are especially good with antioxidant properties. And essentially what they're doing is they are neutralizing those free radicals, which, again, they're just naturally what... Um, occur when your cells just metabolize the energy, which they need to do. So diet is important. Um, You know, throughout the day, you got to watch the sugar, especially you probably are aware of um, insulin issues. When you provide your body with way too much um, glucose, way too much sugars and refined carbohydrates, 
your pancreas has to secrete insulin uh, to be able to handle all that glucose in your blood and um, just too much of that it, it harms the pancreas and you're not able to use the insulin is not used the way it should uh, and people start having problems with uh, their insulin and that's where type 2 diabetes comes in so you want to make sure that you're not just you know eating stuff that's um, too too much simple you know carbohydrates for that um, which is health which is not you know healthy for it exercise I can go on and on about exercise uh, your brain needs good uh, exercise it helps getting the blood to your brain it provides the oxygen it provides the nutrients we're learning more and more and more about even just a simple brisk walk can make all the difference in terms of longevity uh, it is the best thing to keep your brain healthy too uh, if you have a choice between walking around the neighborhood or doing a crossword puzzle walk around the neighborhood um, exercise also keeps your weight down it also which you know excess weight is correlated again with type 2 diabetes um, it's correlated with high blood pressure um, so it's correlated with you know hardening of the arteries all sorts of things so exercise regime and as I tell my students this is something you should be working on right now if your goal is to live a long and healthy life even if it's not necessarily long if you want to live mm -hmm. a healthy life in at 18 20 22 you should be having good um, health habits already sleeping well eating well exercise when you do that at this age it will help you when you get to middle adulthood which naturally in middle adulthood we start st start seeing some chronic health problems for people who had not taken care of themselves as well uh, in their 20s and 30s um, it's not something where you'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll worry about my diet. I'll worry about my health when I get to 40. <laughs> well, at that point, you already can start having um, health issues. So mm -hmm. now's the time to really work on that. But exercise is, the, there are five things your brain needs, okay, and to work at its optimal. It needs water, as we've just talked about. It needs oxygen. It needs good nutrition. It needs sleep and it needs exercise. Those five things, if you do it, you will help your brain to work at its optimal level. Beautiful, love that. Me and my co-host Jason always try to emphasize like how much fitness and like exercise has changed our like mental states and mm -hmm. how much like happier it makes us like every time we work out. So Good. love to hear that. Good. And if you work out, out, you know, with outside, this is such an important area too. Um, get out in nature as much as you possibly can. Um, that's especially important if you're, scoop, you know, cooped up all the time, breathing in oxygen, uh, oxygen uh, that's fresh out there. Um, there's a lot of research on forest bathing these days where you just, you know, walk as much as you can through trees. It just helps our, our mental state. Um, and so we've got some really good research to show that um, even individuals who are diagnosed with significant mental health disorders going through a daily walk 
um, can uh, make a huge difference, even you know more so than medication. If you if you go out uh, regularly outside, it just lowers your blood pressure and uh, improves uh, mental health. So I'm glad that you are supporting that. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. As a transition point into kind of mental health in general, I want to get your take on what you think about social media, any sort of like media, whether it be movies, video games, and how that affects one's outlook or how it affects kind of like their mental state. Yeah, lots of big area research on social media because it's both a savior (laughs) to people, especially uh, during this lockdown, as well as uh, a terrible cost to them. It's how you use social media that's really important. If you're using social media as a way to continue to connect up with friends and family, that's awesome. Right, that's awesome. Um, we know, especially uh, individuals uh, with your demographic here. We call you emerging adults, 18 to 25. You know, one of the main purposes in your age is to connect up with other people. Um, dopamine, which is such an important neurotransmitter, gets released. Um, you know, especially in late adolescence and uh, other individuals, really help for that dopamine, which is the feel good neurotransmitters and other people help that dopamine to release. So you feel good when you connect up with people. Uh, it, it's, it's such an important aspect. And especially if you're not seeing friends uh, face-to-face, uh, so important to connect up with them. So when you use social media that way, there's wonderful benefits from that. Certainly in terms of video games, if you're using that as a way to connect up, there isn't anything uh, negative about using video games you know, for that uh, or other ways with, with social media. What becomes a problem with social media is if you're isolated, right? And you do a lot of comparisons of your own life to other people you see on social media. This especially is concerning uh, regarding uh, body image. So individuals who are, you know, checking social media, looking at Instagram, um, even looking at TikTok videos, which... um, you know, through their algorithms, you keep getting the same type of videos all the time. And if you look at them and you do not think that you are as attractive, as toned, uh, you know, uh, as um, happy um, as the individuals that uh, you follow on social media or that you're watching, this is a big concern. And where we're seeing uh, increases in mental health issues when people spend too much time on social media and uh, they feel bad about themselves when they compare themselves to others. Uh, and, and, and that's definitely uh, a concern and where you hear where people you know, have to take a break. Uh, from social media for that reason. It can um, consume one's time. You can start going down the rabbit hole, right? And the next thing you know, you haven't done your schoolwork or you haven't done other important aspects of your life or you haven't connected up with people. uh, And that's uh, certainly a concern. In terms of uh, gaming, you know, if you're uh, doing a lot of gaming on your own, and you are not interacting with other people, 
um, that's a concern. Uh, the, the whole Kia of, uh, you know, any of the uh, correlation with video games and violence. The only concern is people uh, who spend all their time uh, on gaming and all their time in social media and do not have real interactions outside of that. Those are the individuals that we get concerned about. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like anything else, it's all about moderation, right? If you, if social media makes you feel good, right? You've connected up with people and you, you know, it's been a wonderful opportunity to maintain relationships and you walk away, you feel good, great. If you walk away and you feel bad about yourself, you know, that, that you're comparing yourself and it makes you feel bad, no, that's not good. That's a not good use of your time. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we've, what's happening with social media. While, you'll, while you probably hear both things, it's good and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Because it depends on how the person uses it. Yeah. For a lot of people in my like, school and kind of like the industry surrounding mine, it's very like art heavy and so having these platforms as uh like instagram like facebook like twitter to kind of like build a following to find work i think it's very important that you're on them but at the same time a lot of people get way too attached especially with art trying to see like how much likes you're getting versus like other artists and Mm -hmm. i feel like that is very damaging to some people but I've seen from other people, like if you only use Twitter on like a desktop, you could download an extension that will hide all of the likes. So whenever you post an image, it won't say you get any likes. It won't say anything about likes. It's just mm-hmm. sharing and that's it, which I think is yeah. really nice. Right, right. And, and that's good. That's good. Because, you know, what we oftentimes know is that we tend to get affected more with negativity than positivity. So let's say you got 12 likes, right? You think, wow, that's so cool, 12. <laughs> but you got one negative. What do you think people focus on? <laughs> yeah, the the negative, negative, right? <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's interesting research. If you follow a team or, you know, you, you're much more upset. The degree of upsetness when they lose is is far outweighs the degree of happiness when they win. Mm-hmm. There's something about how we're wired that um, that disappointment affects us more than you would think that the happiness or the positiveness, which is which is a, a good point. You know, and people who follow these influencers and, and they just can't reach the level of these people who they're following, uh, you know, again, that can really wreck somebody's self-esteem and we know self-esteem now self-esteem is is all about comparison comparing yourself to others right it's not your self-concept how you see yourself it's about a comparison and we know that there's a negative correlation with self-esteem and depression and anxiety so the higher our self-esteem the less we're depressed the less that we have anxiety but if we have low self-esteem because we're spending all of our time comparing ourselves to others and we keep coming out at the, the bottom end, that is correlated with higher levels of, of depression uh, and anxiety. 
I was during uh, quarantine, like when COVID hit, and I was just kind of locked up in my room all the time. I was playing video games a lot because I feel like I've been addicted to video games a lot of my life. Uh, but I started looking into like dopamine detoxes and trying to find ways to kind of like motivate myself. And I found out video games was like a huge area of my life that would just pump a lot of dopamine into every day. And I felt like I didn't have dopamine to go around to do anything else. And so once I started to retract my uh, time that I spent on gaming, I was more motivated to read. I was more motivated to practice guitar, learn a new language and do a lot of stuff like that. Yes, yes. Good that you learned that early. Yes. Well, you know, certainly you're interested in this field. I mean, that's what the game designers are all about. I mean, they work on that so that it's very rewarding, these games for you to release that dopamine. So you keep coming back and back and back. Anything having to do with rewards, dopamine's going to be released. Um, but you what you found out is that that was the only thing that was providing you with pleasure uh, because you had gotten yourself so invested in it, just like substance use. Um, so much dopamine is, re- you know, released when you are, are, you know, abuse substances so that then anything else in your life, you, you can't, give, gives you no joy. Um, only the substances will give you joy until you go through detox. So it sounds like you went through detox a little bit uh, with your video game. So good for you for having done that um, and, and understanding. This is when things become problematic, right? When it's you're, it's interfering with your life. That's one of, we, we talk about uh, the three Ds of, of mental health issues. When a behavior is extremely deviant, right? So you're although so many people play video games, but if all you're doing all day is playing video games, that's still deviant compared to the normal mm-hmm. uh, time period. It causes you distress so that uh, when somebody says, you know, hey, uh, you know, this oftentimes with parents will say, you know, get off now, you've done it enough, and uh, the kid, you know, has a tantrum, or the kid says, no, I want one more game, right? And they mm-hmm. get emotionally upset. Uh, that's distressful. And then, of course, the last is dysfunctional. It interferes with your life. So now you're not playing the guitar where you wanted to do. You're not doing other activities. Or you're not going out with other people. You're not paying attention to your studies. Now it's interfering with your life. Now, now you've got, that's a concern, right? So video games have a lot of good things with them. They're, they're, you know, for brain games and for planning and for some of the social aspects for it. And, um, but just like anything else, it can, you can then do it too much. Um, and if you're isolating yourself and it's interfering uh, with your life in other areas, that can become a problem. Ever since, you know, I stopped playing, Sometimes I'll play like here and there with a friend, but I try to use it, if at all, as kind of like a reward system for accomplishing something that's going on in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm just happier overall. And one thing that me and my co-host Jason always talk about uh, on the podcast uh, is just overall positivity. And I feel like we don't know a lot about mental illnesses we've never like dealt with depression or bipolar disorder or anything like that ourselves so i really was hoping that you could kind of 
hop on here and give us kind of like a explain like we're five rundown on like what depression is how people uh, are diagnosed for it and how that all works okay sure well first of all people love to throw those terms around you know he's depressed she's anorexic he's an alcoholic right so first of all um be careful about calling anyone anything that's our first thing that we're going to do um, mm -hmm. each one of mental health disorders is very specific in terms of how it's defined and uh, i'm sure many of your listeners have heard of the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders uh, we're currently in our it's fifth edition and this is um i mean it, physically it's a book of course you can also get it online but it is a way to categorize every mental health disorder uh, that the American Psychiatric Association and the American uh, Psychological Association uh, deem to need um, essentially assistance. Now there's an international way of categorizing disorders that the World Health Organization puts out. But in terms of uh, America, we pretty much focus on this DSM. So in order to be diagnosed with a d disorder, uh, you have to have somebody who is, one, trained and licensed to do that. So that's where, you know, licensed clinical psychologist, which is what I am, um, licensed psychiatrist. Uh, there's also licensed, um, you know, clinical social workers um, who have been trained uh, as well as have these licenses that are put out there that would evaluate and then diagnose someone. And the diagnosis diagnosis has to fall along with the criteria that are listed in the DSM. So we don't get to make up things. It has to be very specific based on this individual criteria. So that's the first thing. So I do want to caution everyone to be careful about using terms uh, for um, you know, that throwing them out because you don't really know. Being sad doesn't necessarily make someone depressed. There's, there's lots that goes into that. So that's the first thing that has to be known. Each one of them also has a time frame in which the individual has to show the behaviors. Um, and that's also important uh, because somebody could go, you start using substances uh, for a while, but they don't actually have a substance use disorder until they've done it for 12 months. So maybe over the summer, somebody's been spending a lot of time getting high. That doesn't necessarily mean they have a substance use disorder. There's other criteria with it. So we look at these specific criteria and the time frame. That's the first thing. The different categories um, also um, have uh, several components of them so that something like you mentioned bipolar disorder. Well, there are different types of bipolar disorders. It's bipolar disorder one, bipolar disorder two, cyclothymic disorder. So even within some of these larger categories, we might have several different disorders, eating disorders. There's a variety of different eating disorders um, so that one also has to, you know, look and see what type it is. Um, so uh, knowledge of the DSM is, is what, you know, separates clinicians who do the work from, you know, obviously everyone else who does it. 
When it comes to college students, we, we see a variety of uh, disorders, and we see more and more college students coming uh, to college with mental health disorders than they ever have in the past. So that's the good news. And that's because medication and, and psychotherapy tend to be helpful uh, with that. And a lot of colleges have uh, support programs. I'm assuming your college has an office for students with disabilities that will help with, uh, with accommodations. So we're really happy uh, to see that more individuals are, um, you know, going to college because of it. But college itself is such a stressful time that we actually have high levels of mental health disorders uh, in college. Um, especially depression and, and anxiety. Um, upwards towards almost one out of two uh, individuals say that they feel depressed at some point. Um, and COVID, of course, has increased uh, the amount uh, of individuals who are identifying with both depression, anxiety, and stress disorders. And actually, you know, Generation Z, uh, which is what you're all um, identified with, and that's anyone from 18 to 23, Right now, they're having the most difficult time of any of the ages. Uh, the American Psychological Association regularly looks at stress levels of individuals at all ages. And um, this Generation Z uh, reports the highest stress level than at any other point. On a scale from 1 to 10, uh, they're about at a 6 uh, compared to uh, other individuals. Um, and actually, you know, as you go a little bit older, you're, you're less stressed. A lot of people don't realize that, but life does get better when you're older. Um, so th there's just a lot of, you know, stress going on, a lot of things that uh, college students have to deal with. Um, so uh, there, there certainly seems to be some, uh, you know, issues, especially the first time going away to college. So fortunately, you, you felt like you haven't had to experience that. But, you know, the change in the support system, you know, going uh, the top dog phenomenon where, you know, you're the best in high school and you get to college and everyone's super good. That can be really stressful to individuals, um, you know, just uh, just overall, uh, you know, change, uh, having more uh, stress from schoolwork or maybe juggling jobs and loneliness and all of this can uh, impact uh, individuals. So we do start seeing, and just naturally, late adolescents can have start seeing some significant mental health issues too. Um, so it's not surprising that um, we, we do start seeing some significant issues among college students. And that's why every college does have a counseling center uh, available. And I do want to encourage uh, anyone who's listening that if they do worry about uh, mental health issues, they're having trouble with stress or they're having trouble, you know, uh, getting all their tasks accomplished, they're feeling down or they're feeling super anxious or they're having panic attacks or they think, you know, they're using substances too much to get in touch with their, the counseling center uh, at the college. It's um, typically you know, free and confidential for students because there's a lot that goes on during that time. Um, so I, do you, you know, uh, Jesse, that what's available at your college? Yes, yes I do. Okay, good, good. 
I did want to get into substance use, more specifically on marijuana and shrooms. Okay. Um, we'll do marijuana first, um, and then we'll get into shrooms, because I think shrooms is really interesting and has some unique benefits to it that there's not too much research on it yet. But yeah. uh, in terms of marijuana, a lot of people, it's getting legalized in a lot of areas, and I think that there's a lot of great kind of like medicinal attributes that come along with it or at least with kind of like calms you down and can help with like PTSD and different disorders in that nature. So what are what are your thoughts on marijuana? Well, so the research on marijuana isn't as clear cut as people like to think. Um, people like to think that there's all these wonderful medicinal um, aspects to it. And, and what's so important is that you have to have good research, good research efficacy to show this. What we do know is it absolutely it helps individuals with uh, their appetite, right? So if you're going through chemotherapy, it can definitely help with that. It also has been helpful for pain management for some individuals. Um, but for it being this panacea for all sorts of disorders, eh, um, we're not seeing the research being uh, totally positive on this. Uh, there really needed to be uh, some more research um, out there uh, that that pretty good from the Food and Drug Administration who pretty much uh, sponsors much of this research um, to give it some of the glowing, uh, you know, glowing recommendations that some people say that it's going to uh, help everyone. And it's just not, that's not necessarily the case uh, with it. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, psychologists and, and psychiatrists and physicians who do feel that maybe we've moved a little bit uh, too fast in terms of both medicinal and certainly rec uh, recreational marijuana. One of the biggest concerns about recreational marijuana, which, as you know, Illinois has, I don't know what's going on in, in uh, Savannah, um, but, uh, you know, the adolescent brain, the adolescent brain is just such an amazing work in progress. And we know that individuals who start using any substance in adolescence is much more likely to develop a substance use disorder than if they would just wait until the brain develops. And as you remember, it's pretty much mid-20s when the brain ha has fully developed. But we have research to show that uh, adolescents who use you know, weed early on, it is correlated much more with substance use disorders and even uh, you know, serious mental health disorders like schizophrenia where if the individual had not used until later, they would not have developed this substance use disorder or um, you know, even um, other mental health disorders. It's just primed at adolescence to hardwire what the adolescent is currently doing. So if the adolescent is using substances, that's what's going to get hardwired. That's what's going to get myelinated into the brain. Those are the connections that are going to be made. So when you, you know, when you have substances like that available, there is a concern, of course, that adolescents are going to start having access more, even when it's just medicinal, uh, then uh, which can greatly, uh, you know, hijack the adolescent brain. 
So that that's a, a bit of a concern right now uh, in uh, in the literature uh, and in the research. And you know, research is being done for these medicinal purposes, but a lot of the a lot of the things that people said uh, were positive um, haven't been shown uh, in uh, real research, right? So we, we've got to always look at the research okay. with that. And the same thing with the psychedelics. So there is a lot of research now that is looking at um, using psychedelics as a way of, um, you know, dealing with mental health issues. It's just starting a, some of this research uh, that we didn't necessarily have before. And um, there is some, you know, there's some good research out there. Um, are you familiar with ketamine? Yes. Okay, so so things like ketamine has been uh, has been researched to see if that can make a difference, um, but we're really just starting. So when that um, you know that war on drugs that occurred, the just say no <laughs> aspect, pretty much shut down a lot of research on uh, using uh, illicit substances and and especially psychedelics in terms of you know, even you know research is getting the money uh, or, or the grants to be able to do this research and so now that's opening up which is good because you know you have to have the research right this is not antidotal you know my cousin swears by it and my best friend used it and felt so much better we need to have good research to show whether or not um, all these you know particular uh, substances will in fact make a difference so really that's where we are right now okay so um, I, i'm not going to say that it's good bad i'm going to say we need the research and thankfully the research is happening 10 years ago the research wasn't happening now it is it is happening um, and that's really good uh, for that but we do have to be careful about um, our adolescents because of their brains. They're just developing. It's as simple as that. And, um, and that is uh, certainly a concern. So I came back down to Savannah in March, so just a couple months ago. And my two of my friends who I met in my ceramics class at uh, College of Lake County, they actually drove me down. And they're very into like sustainability, oh. kind of like uh, biology, nature, things like that. Like that's their field of study. Uh -huh. So on our way down, we listened to like hours and hours of podcasts about mushrooms and a lot of the okay. medicinal properties and how it's being used. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about this. I don't know if you do. I know a lot of the research is new, but there's some studies yeah. being shown about neurogenesis and how uh, different mushrooms can kind of create new neural links within the brain. So I thought that that's very mm -hmm. interesting. I don't know anything else about it, though. Yeah. So I um, neurogenesis. OK, so you remember that we're born with essentially 86 billion neurons. And for a long time, the belief was that we did not create any more. And we really don't create a whole lot more. In the hippocampus, in the olfactory bulb, there is research to show that there can be some neurogenesis that's occurring in those particular areas. In fact, UIC, uh, University of Illinois at Chicago, um, is, 
did some groundbreaking research back in 2019 to demonstrate that neurogenesis can occur even uh, in those in late adulthood and even those who might have some cognitive impairments. So neurogenesis is a big area because think how cool that is that we can create new neurons. Because again, the belief has been that it's not the neurons that created. I mean, you know, we're born with so many. It's the connections which allow us to do everything. So this has been a bit of an area of research. Now, that mushrooms can create new neurons is um, a, a pretty, um, I don't want to say radical, I guess I don't want to quite use that term, but that's a pretty novel uh, area of research. And as you indicated, it is pretty new. This, again, this research using, um, you know, substances that typically have been considered, um, you know, illegal to, to use um, is really being pushed now. So we are starting to see a lot more of this particular research. Um, and that's wonderful because we need to have this research but as you know research good research takes time it also has to be replicated and you have to make sure that you're using a varied group of individuals that you might be you know uh, testing uh, these results on and so this is where we currently are now I'm not sure what um, podcast that you were listening to and um, I just want to caution you to make sure that it's not antidotal. It's not people who have a, a particular agenda. That's something that has been well uh, validated. And um, again, the Food and Drug Administration is sort of, you know, the gold standard. You, you want something. A National Institute of Mental Health is another really good source to look for in, in terms of their research. <coughs> Excuse me. You want to make sure that they're the ones who are out there doing this and, and testing this. Um, so ju just like anything else, look at the source. Um, but but I, I will tell you, in fact, just about a month ago, I had gone to a, a presentation um, from a pharmacist uh, who, who is a doctor in pharmacy on psychedelics and the treatment of mental health issues. And you know, he, he was very clear on the fact that, that things are just now starting to get some good research. So maybe what you were listening to was just sort of the, the beginning of all of this. But just because it's at the beginning doesn't mean it's necessarily going to uh, follow along. We, we all just sort of have to wait for this and hope that the funding continues because it's very easy to stop the funding. That's, that's the big concern because it got stopped before where, you know, it was illegal to do any sort of this research. And that's what we don't want to see happen. Yes, absolutely. I think that we are running out of time. So if there's anything that you'd like to plug before we wrap up, this is your time to do so. The only thing that I would want to plug is just um, if you're not feeling um, like yourself, if you are losing interest in activities that you used to like to do, um, you know, if you think that you might 
be experiencing anything um, significant in terms of a mental health issue, I do want to encourage you to go to, uh, if you're in high school, you have mental health professionals there. If you're in college, you have mental health professionals. If you're not, you have your um, county or city mental health. There are hotlines. Uh, please, you know, definitely uh, check with somebody if you feel a need to do that. that that's always what I, I want my students to know, that there are people out there uh, that can help if you feel you need to have someone to talk to. Beautiful, beautiful. I just want to say one last time, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to get to talk to you again, and I hope that we can keep on talking sometime in the future. For our listeners, again, our socials are JSI Podcast on Instagram, JSI Podcast on Twitter, and if you have any questions, feel free to send them our way at jsipodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.